And so we have been looking at, for the you know, whole of this year, really, our identity in Jesus Christ. And kind of rooting ourselves into who we are in Jesus Christ. And for the past three weeks, we have been looking through the book of Ephesians to kind of discover more of who we are in Jesus Christ. Now, I titled today's message like this. Um, I titled it, I Am Like God. I really struggled with this title, okay? Because I don't want to, maybe it's just me. I'm sure it's not any of you. I don't want to build any of you up falsely, okay? That we come away and we take out the like and we just put, I am God, right? That has been done before, trust me. And it's not a good thing. So I tried, you know, I am like God or I am godly or I am godlike. None of it fits well, right? It just doesn't, for me at least, doesn't suit me well. I'm kind of a little bit kind of eh, uncertain about it, if you will. I have some angst with this. But don't miss the point. We can be, or we are, rather, godly people. And this morning, I want us to unpack what kind of godliness looks like. What does it mean to live like godly people? The classic book, The Invisible Man. I don't know if any of you read this book. Uh, but it has nothing to do with what other movies have come out with since that time about The Invisible Man. Okay? It's the story about a black man who lives his life in accordance to the expectations of the society in which he lives in. In other words, he lives and acts and speaks and walks and talks, etc. in the way and manners in which those around him expect him to walk and talk and speak and act and all of those things that you want to put in there. And here's the thing. The more he does that, guess what? the more invisible he becomes. That's the premise of the story. That's the premise of the story. The more that he conforms to the expectations of those around him, the more invisible he becomes. And in fact, finally, he says this in the book. When I discover who I am, I'll be free. In other words, he had conformed himself so much to society, he had conformed himself to the expectations that others had placed on him, that he had lost his identity of who he is. And in fact, now he was on this journey of discovering who he truly was. And once he made that discovery, guess what? He would finally be free. Have you ever felt that you really don't know who you are? And in an attempt to figure out who you are, that you have looked to those around you. You have looked to the culture, to the society, to your friends, your family, your neighbors, etc., 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 to those around you to figure out who am I. But did you ever notice that maybe perhaps in doing that, that the more invisible you became when you lived up to the expectations that others placed on you? Are you alive? You don't know who you are, clearly. Let's help with that today. Right? I mean, think about that. You know, I don't know about you, but for me, that has been, in some ways, a lifelong journey, is to figure out who am I and not to be tempted to let myself be defined by the expectations that others place on me. But guess what? I have a problem, church. I'm a people pleaser. I want to make you all happy. 
for a variety of reasons. Because I love you guys, because you pay my salary. Because, that's really an important one right there. <laughs> right? There are expectations, I know, and maybe you don't know yet. Maybe you do know and not willing to admit it, that there are expectations that you all have of pastors, right? And, and some of them are not bad expectations. Some of them are not necessarily out of the range of, you know, being reasonable. And then there are other expectations that maybe there are out of the range of being reasonable and all of those kinds of things. And so it's a constant struggle of being able to understand of who I am in Jesus Christ who I believe Jesus Christ has called me to be, not only as a pastor, but certainly as a person in general, but at the same time, being able to manage the expectations that maybe those around me, including you all, have of me. One person defined leadership in this way. Leadership is disappointing people at a rate they can tolerate. (laughs) I like that. I like that. It's disappointing people at a rate that you all can tolerate. So far, you're tolerating it, right? We must be going at a fairly good rate. But here's the thing, is how in the world do I embrace who I am, be free in that, and at the same time, be a functional member of society? That's the tension. There are plenty of people who discovered who they were. And they be, cease to be a functioning member of society. Cease to be like, you know, kind of this off the wall, off the charts, kind of way out there, not in any way seems to be contributing to the overall benefit of society as a whole. And, and that's a whole different aspect. I'm not talking about that today. Does that make sense? How can we be who we are to be in Jesus Christ and yet not be, how can I put this? Freaks about it? At least unnecessarily so. How can we embrace our identity in Jesus Christ and still be a functioning whole part of society? Not conforming to the expectations of society, but rather contributing and helping to make society a better place. That's a hard bridge to cross. That's a hard bridge to kind of have over this deep chasm between who we are and what society says we are. That who we are in Jesus Christ and yet still engaging in society in a way that is healthy, in a way that is, 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 is profitable, not only for ourselves but for those around us. That's a really, really hard tension to maintain. Let me just say this. There are people in churches, or not, not on churches, in Christianity in general, that have given up on that largely. And have said, you know what? We're not going to engage with the world around us. And by the way, those people who I'm going to mention... We are, we, relatives, not as though that you were blood, we're not blood relatives, but we come from the same vein, right? I'm talking like people like the Amish community, right? They have said, we are not going to engage in society. We're going to keep to ourselves and we are going to just simply be who we are in Jesus Christ without engaging in, the, the tension is too much. Can't do it, Right? We, by the way, as Amish, as brethren, we come from, we're all part of the same family, right? There are parts of brethrenism that actually 
are part of Amish that keep to themselves, right? They do not engage. We here, as a part of the Brethren Church, as Summit Ridge Community Church, we are known as progressive brethren. Now, for those of you who think in political terms, do not think that way. That's not what that means, okay? We are not progressive in a political sense. We are progressive. The reason why we got that label, do you know why we got that label? For those of you who are listening, I mean, Justin talked about how much he loved this class. Here's a quiz for him. Why are we called progressive? Yeah, right? Crickets. Crickets. We're progressive because we were serious and are serious about evangelism, about engaging the world around us and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is progressive to our tribe or whatever. I hate that, that word, by the way. I really do. I can't believe I just used it. I don't like that. Uh, I, I think it is, I think it has just has a bunch of connotations that are not healthy to use that word. That is part of our denominational family. <sighs> not much better. I see you laughing, Andy Hartman. Okay. Here's the thing. Here's the thing, church. The tension that we as Christians have to live in is just that. How do we engage the society around us and at the same time, time you know, live into our identity of who we are in Jesus Christ? That's where I want us to focus in on today. Because as the invisible man shared, when I discover who I am, I'll be free. It didn't mean that he just get to do whatever he wanted to do and engage in whatever ways he wanted to engage in. But rather, he got to be true to himself, but at the same time, as well, a functioning member of society. So today, as we look at today's passage, and as we dive into this next identity statement, I am like God, or I am godly, here is the question that is before us. What does it look like for us to be godly and at the same time engage in a way that is proper in a way that is profitable to the society around us? That is the question I want us to dive into today. Does that make sense? And as we do, I want us to look at what it looks like for us to be godly. What does it look like for us to be godly? Now, what I'm going to share with you today as we look at Ephesians chapter 4 is not an exhaustive list. Hear me on this. Do not think that this is an A to Z look at what it means to be godly. There is much more than what is listed in this passage as to what it means to be godly. However, this is a really good, I think, list or idea of what it looks like for us to be godly. And by the way, my hope is, is as we look at this, you will probably look at this and say, well, that's not really out there. Yeah, it's not. Well, that's not really radical. Maybe not. Well, that seems almost rather kind of ordinary. Maybe so. Okay. Does that make sense? Okay, so let's dive in and take a look at what does it look like to be godly? What does it look like for us to embrace the fact that as Christ followers, part of our identity is that you and I are godly people? Here's what it looks like. And the first one is this. What godliness look like, looks like is this. Be real. It looks like us being real. In other words, telling the truth. Let me dive in. 
here, Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 22, and we're cutting right in here. Here's the assumption as we come into verse 22 that Paul writes before that, that says this, but you did not learn Christ in this way. I don't have that passage there, Jamie. Don't worry about it. I'm sorry. So um, blame me, okay? Don't blame the person behind the computer. Um, But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus. Now here it picks up, verse 22. That in reference to your former way of life, you are to rid yourselves of the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. And he goes on and he says, and that you are to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Now, verse 23, I want to stop there real quick. Paul talks about this idea of being renewed through the spirit of our minds, as well as our whole self. Now, here's the thing about interesting that I don't think our English text really gives credit to, is that really the Greek text really more reads like that you are constantly being renewed or that you are in the process of being renewed or that you are renewing in the spirit of your minds. In other words, hear me, church. Being renewed in our minds is not a one-and-done event. Do you hear me? We never stop growing in Jesus Christ, ever. Ever. You never retire from the kingdom of God in more ways than you realize, right? I don't care how old you are in this place today or those of you who are watching online. I don't care. It doesn't matter. The point is we are constantly being renewed in the spirit of our minds. It never, ever stops. You might be wondering, when will I ever be able to finish having to confess my sins, having to deal with the stuff in my life, having to deal with all this junk and all this baggage? When can I finally be freed from all of this? And let me just tell you this, you will be freed when you are in the face and presence of Jesus Christ himself. But don't give up. Because guess what? Look around you. We're all in the same boat. None of you looked at each other. You wouldn't, would you? You didn't dare. You didn't dare. And the world may say to you and I, you are finished. You are worthless. There is no hope for you. And I'm here to tell you today, they are wrong. They are wrong. There is always a chance of redemption. There is always a second chance. Always. And I rarely use absolute terms like an always and never. But today I'm using it in this phrase. There is always an opportunity for second chances. Always. Let me just say this. If I didn't believe in the hope of the gospel, I shouldn't be a pastor. Now that's an expectation that you should have of me. Boy, pastor, I hope you're hopeful for me. I hope you, I hope you believe in me. Because there are some days I don't believe in myself. Because there are some days I don't believe that even God believes in me. Let me just tell you today, hear me today. God believes in you. God is hopeful for you. Because God absolutely is in love with you. Absolutely. More than you and I could ever possibly know. God is that much in love with you. And me. Hear me on that. Okay, hear me on that. So we are in a constant process of being renewed in the spirit of our minds. Now, verse 24, and to put on the new self, that's what we're trying to do. Have you ever tried on clothes at the store? 
Why do you do that? Why do you do that? Do you like to torture yourself? Right? Why do you do that? We do it because before we buy it, we want to make sure it fits. And have you ever gone into the fitting room and you put something on that you thought, well, I think I'm this size today. And you come out and you think, well, I guess I'm not that size today. It's a frustrating. We put stuff on. It may feel awkward. It may feel too tight or too loose or too baggy or whatever it is. That's kind of the same way. We are in the process of putting on our new self. And it's as though we're in a fitting room and it's not all fitting well together. But it will. But it will. Just not quite yet. And so as we're kind of just putting on this new self, it's a little, uh, this is a little baggy to me. Or this, this is a little too tight. I think I, can I just get some release here just to get this, uh, right? It's a little painful at times. And other times it's a little too baggy and I just don't feel good. It just doesn't look comfortable and it certainly isn't my style. I get that. I get that. It's like trying on new clothes. That's putting on our new self. It's not always an enjoyable experience, but the end product is really, really good. Trust me, it's going to fit. Trust me, it's going to fit really, really well. It's just going to be a little process before then, okay? So don't give up. And he goes on this and says this, um, which is in the likeness of God has created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, ridding yourselves of falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, because we are parts of one another, okay? Now, let me stop there, okay? And all of a sudden, we're putting on this new self, which, by the way, is the likeness of God. That's what we're putting on. And I don't know about you, but sometimes God just, just, just doesn't fit well on me. His likeness sometimes just doesn't fit well on me, but we're nonetheless putting that on. Why are we putting that on? Why is that so important? Because we know that his likeness, that this, this new self that we're putting on is rooted in righteousness. That is in a right relationship with us and him and with one another. We know that when we put this on, that we can have right relationships as it was meant to be, not only with God, but also with one another. That is rooted in, hol- in holy, holiness, rooted in holiness, right? In other words, this kind of suit, this kind of new self will set us apart because we will be like God and God is what? Holy. He is holy. This is a good thing, church. This is a good thing. And therefore, Paul says, therefore, ridding yourselves of falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, because we are parts of one another. And I, I, I don't know about you, but I get excited about that. Yes, speak truth. You're a sinner. You are going to hell. That's the truth. Is it not, church? Well, at least the first part is. We don't get to decide heaven or hell, but we can't help ourselves, can we? Oh, God, just give me a chance. Let me judge it one day. Let me just, let me just try it one day. Let me just try it one day. One day. Trust me, you don't want that responsibility. Never want that. But nonetheless, you are a sinner. You are cut off from God. It's almost like we go Jonathan Edwards, sinners in the hands of an angry God kind of mode there. Do you realize and don't don't read that book when you know you're you're feeling down about yourself. Don't read that book. If you have, you know, if you are just really, really uncertain about yourself, don't read that book. If you are looking to get cheered up. 
By the way, that was a sermon, and the way he prefaces, or the way he describes our, our lot, our position before God, is like a spider that's just there under, you know, over the top of a burning fire with a pair of scissors right there ready to snip that web off. That's a good Puritan preacher for you. He was Baptist before there was even Baptist there, right? I mean, holy cow, that's rough stuff. That's the truth to many. And we don't hesitate to share that, do we? We don't hesitate to share that kind of truth. If someone is living a lifestyle that we believe is contrary to the scriptures, we don't hesitate to say you're sinning and you're going to go to hell for that. If someone is, is, is living and speaking in ways that are just not good, we don't hesitate to bring judgment, hellfire and brimstone down on them. We don't hesitate to tell them the truth. And we don't care how it lands. We walk away saying, I did my job. That's not what Paul is saying here. Okay? And by preface, let me just say this. Not only do we speak truth to our neighbor, we'll get there in just a minute of what that truth looks like, but he says this. Be angry. Oh, man. Finally, you have permission. Be angry. Get angry, church. Seems to be what Paul is saying here, right? No. No. Be angry. Then Paul adds this. And yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. Here's the problem. Yes, we speak truth. Yes, here's the truth. Yes, we are sinners. Yes, here's the truth. We are in need of a savior. Here's the truth. God loves every single person. Yes, there are some behaviors and lifestyles that are contrary to the scriptures. We understand that. There are some things that are simply not of God. And we don't hesitate to point these things out. And yet at the same time, when we do it, how many of us are angry about it? How many of you have been angry this week looking at the news at a certain group of people that were doing something? To someone. How many of you are in a constant state of anger, it seems like? It's low level at some points. And then it spikes. And at some point, you just finally say, that's enough, everyone out of the pool. (laughs) Kind of approach. Man, Paul is not saying, get angry, church. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying, guess what, church? We have the truth. We know the truth. Now, here's the problem. The problem is, is that we might be tempted to perhaps share that truth in a way that is not very kind, gracious. It is anything but loving. Don't do it. Here's the, here's the problem. Anger, I, 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 as I was reading this passage, I thought, well, why does Paul, out of all the things he could list, why is anger the one thing he lists that says, hey, yeah, you're going to get angry, but don't sin in your anger. I think maybe perhaps one reason why is that out of all of the emotions that we have as human beings, anger perhaps is the one emotion that leads us closest to the doorstep of sin than perhaps any other emotion out there. And this is pointed out very early on in Genesis 4. Do you remember this story? Cain and Abel, right? We remember the stories. We remember the jokes that come from that, right? Um, you, know, you know, why wasn't Cain able to do something? Because he wasn't able, uh, Right? I've got a whole list of dad jokes, by the way. I've just been trying them out on my kids. My kids are so tired of me. 
telling dad jokes. It's just... <laughs> I get no respect. Here's the... Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. Is that in Cain and Abel in Genesis 4, if you remember this, they were both bringing these two brothers, Adam and Eve's offspring, were bringing offerings to God. And if you remember, that Abel's offerings were much more acceptable to God than Cain's offerings. And Cain, if you remember the story, was getting very angry about this. In fact, the scriptures tell us this. He was furious. And in the midst of that, God approaches Cain and says to Cain, Cain, you better get this anger under control because if you do not, sin is crouching at your door and it's ready to pounce. You've got to get a handle on it. There's perhaps no emotion that is quicker to lead us to sin than that of anger. Think about it. Anger is what causes us to do things and say things that can be incredibly hurtful, that can be incredibly damaging, and can be antithetical to everything that the gospel is and what it stands for. And I think at most of the time, not most of the time, I think a lot of times as Christians, we may have to spend our time apologizing for the way we said things and how we did things than actually being able to share the gospel the way that Jesus would want us to share the gospel, right? Man, and I hear preachers today who tell you, get angry, church. It's time to start fighting. Get angry, church. We're under attack. I've heard this even while I was on sabbatical at a few churches I was visiting. One church in particular I was visiting was like, get angry. Man, we are being persecuted. And I'm thinking, you know what, church? Let us not mistake persecution or inconvenience for persecution. Oh, damn, but you don't understand. We didn't get to meet during the pandemic. Oh, what do you mean you didn't get to meet? You could meet online. And in Arizona, guess what? We were never under those restrictions. Oh, that's right. We have a nice nonprofit tax exempt status as a church that we get to enjoy all the benefits that come with that. And by the way, there's a lot of benefits. As a pastor, I get to, jo- I get to enjoy a lot of tax benefits that I get to actually double deduct my home mortgage. I get not taxed on my mortgage already. And then I get to claim that as housing allowance and not get taxed again. And then it puts me in a lower tax bracket. So guess what? I'm poor. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not persecuted. Inconvenienced at times? Yeah. And by the way, as I'm saying this, I'm angry. (laughs) There's the irony. There's the irony. I get upset about that because it's like, are you serious? There are churches in the world today that literally, if they are found to be meeting together, they will be at least, very least, imprisoned, if not completely killed for their faith. I bet you not a single one of us worried about the fact that if we came here today and we sat in these chairs, that we were going to get arrested at the very least, and perhaps even at most killed for the fact that we gathered here on this morning. Oh, come on. We can do better, church. We can be better. Let's be real. Let's be real. That is what Paul is calling us to. And so here's the thing when Paul says, guess what? Yeah, share the truth. Absolutely. And, and when you find yourself getting angry, which by the way, okay, understandable. You're going to get angry. That's an emotion. God gets angry. We get angry. We're in God's likeness. It's understandable, right? Here's the, here's the thing. When you get angry, be real. In other words, Paul says, understand. Why is it that you're angry? 
What made you angry? What caused this anger to develop in you? And by the way, deal with it. Because if you do not, the devil will get a foothold and will lead you to do things and say things that will create greater and greater hurt, harm, and sin down the line. That's what Paul is saying here. Be real. Be real, church. Don't deny the fact. I'm classic for this. Lori will ask me, are you angry? Nope, I'm not angry. My whole persona says I'm angry. Nope, I'm not angry. Right? Be real. We get angry. And, and by the way, let's get even more real here. Don't use Jesus storming the temple and clearing the temple out as a justification for being angry. Just doesn't work. I love what Aristotle, I'm, I'm quoting Aristotle today. There you go. Aristotle. He says this, a student of Plato. He says this, anybody can become angry. That is easy. But to be angry with the right person to the right degree and at the right time and for the right purpose and in the right way, that is not within everybody's power and is not easy. Did you catch those words? There's only one person I know who can do all that, and that's Jesus. I can't. When we find ourselves angry, it's best to stop and to say, why am I so angry? Have you ever been so angry and you kind of liked it? Right? The Incredible Hulk is built... I can't believe I brought him into this. <laughs> the Incredible Hulk is built off the entire premise that he likes it when he's angry. And he becomes this hulking green monster who destroys things. Doesn't that sound like fun? Guys, have you ever wanted to take a, you know, a, 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 one of those um, uh, street um, presser things, the ones that crush everything. I forget what the name of that is. Um, they smooth out the tar after it's, after it's laid. Thank you, a steamroller. And just see what you could destroy with that thing. Right? That'd be kind of fun. There was a guy in the news, you remember this years back, who, who actually commandeered a tank in California. Of course it was California took it for a joyride he just to i mean pretty much just to see what he could crush he crushed a lot of things tank did a lot of damage i mean yeah there's a part of us that's just like man and but you know what it's it's not a bad thing to get angry it's a bad thing to sit in our anger it's a bad thing not to discover why we're angry it's a bad thing to not be real when we get angry it's a bad thing to share truth out of anger it's a bad thing do you hear me church that is not godliness. Godliness is being real with ourselves. Godliness is saying, yes, you know what? I am not perfect. Yes, I realize I might get angry. Yes, I have things in my life I need to deal with. And at the same time, Jesus Christ is working those things in me to help me deal with those things. I am a work in progress. Be real, church. That's godliness. That's godliness. Now, I've got two more points, and I don't have much time to share them, but I'm going to do my best here. Next one is this, be honoring. Whoo. The tagline on this one is treat others with respect. Ouch. Treat others with respect. Verse 28, chapter 4. The one who steals must no longer steal, but rather he must labor producing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. And he goes on and says this, let no one, or rather unwholesome word, come out of your mouth. But if there is any good word for edification according to the need of the moment, say that. 
so that, be, so that it will give grace to those who hear. And finally, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. All bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander must be removed from you along with all malice. Be honoring. Treat others with respect. And there are two ways that we can treat others with respect that Paul points out, 30,000 foot view. One is this, with the way we act, and number two, with what we say and how we say it. Be respectful. This one speaks to my heart because I don't know if you've ever taken those personality tests, right? I take a lot of them. Clearly, I must need to. I don't know why. I just took one a few, another couple months ago. We're breaking that apart too. Um, it kind of explains why I can sometimes be aloof. Aloof? Huh. I didn't think I was aloof, but apparently I might be aloof. And if I am, I'm sorry. It's not because I'm, you know, thinking I'm better than all of you. It's just because I have no opinion. I don't care. <laughs> That's it. I don't care. You want chicken or you want chicken? That's most of the decisions that I think that I look at. Rarely do I have to think, make a decision. What do you want for dinner? Chicken or chicken? I'm grilling it anyways. <laughs> Here's the thing. I'm kind of on fire today. No. Uh, Justin, I didn't need caffeine. I think I had too much of it. I can spare you some of mine. Here's the thing. Um, respect and actions. Listen, how we interact, be a functioning part of the community, whether it's here at the church or in society as a whole, get a job. If you can work, work. Some of this stuff is just really practical, church. I'm not trying to, you know, be all like, you know, judgmental or anything. I'm just saying, I mean, get a job. If you can work, work. If you can't work, that's an entirely different situation. There are things you can contribute. Contribute them. God has gifted each and every one of us with absolute unbelievable gifts. And you know what the worst thing you can do with that is sit with those gifts and do nothing. Don't just be served. Serve. You have something to contribute. And by the way, you know, we use all kinds of excuses. And I get that. Our lives get busy. Then figure out a way within the midst of your life to serve someone. It, it doesn't have to be here. It doesn't have to look the way I think it ought to look. By the way, don't use my picture for that way. Okay? I, it's like the same team people come up to me and say, Dan, should I tithe? You're asking a pastor if you should tithe. What do you think I'm going to tell you? What do you think I'm going to tell you? No, don't tithe, give. That's what I'm going to tell you. Whatever God leads you to give, give. Right? It doesn't matter. It's between you and God. I don't care. I do care. What I care about is that you're joyful about it. Okay? Whatever it is. Here's the thing. Is that as we look at that, it's just be a contributing member of society. And, and you know what? I get we're busy. And maybe some of us are here, well, I'm, I'm just old. <laughs> you realize we elected the oldest member, oldest person ever to serve as president, he's in his 70s, he's going to be 80. Now you might think, well, he probably shouldn't. I get that. We have all the, the gamuts of that. It doesn't matter. The point is, there's a man serving in the White House, one of the toughest jobs in the world. He is 80 some odd years. He's going to be 80. Moses wasn't called to deliver the people of Egypt until how old was he? 80. Yeah, <laughs> Moses, you think you're going to be with shepherds, you know, shepherding the flock the whole rest of your life? I got a new flock I want you to shepherd, and this flock's going to be a lot tougher. <laughs> yeah, this was just training. Now it's time to start your real job. 
80 years old. 80 years old, he was called. We are living longer and longer and longer than any other previous generations before us. Trust me, we're going to be here for a while. You can contribute still. Don't let anybody tell you you have nothing to contribute. That is simply not true. Here's the second thing. Speak well. Speak well. I mentioned that I take a lot of personality tests, and this part really speaks to me, is because one of the things that comes about is that there, there, there are some core beliefs of mine that I have. And I don't always live up to them, but I still have them nonetheless. And one of the things that is, that is really core to me is respect. If I see anyone disrespecting another person, or if I'm disrespected, or whatever else, man, that, I become from a, like, you know, lab, a golden lab, to like a pit bull. Right? Because it's just so disrespectful. Church, can, can we just speak to each other in a way that's more respectful and honoring? Can we just speak to each other in a way that is just in, in more edifying instead of more judgmental? And just Can we just speak in a way, in an attitude that says, you know what, I do care about you, I do love you, even though I might not agree with what you're saying here or doing here? Can, can we just be kinder to each other and more respectful towards each other? Can we just look at each other and say, this person is in the likeness of God as well as much as I am, and therefore, you know what, they deserve to have the same respect as I do? Can we just be respectful to each other in the way that we communicate? Can we do that? It's not always easy. Why? Because I'm angry. But you know what? It's a big call. Sometimes we have to, in the midst of all that, still be respectful. Still be respectful. I, I've done it myself, but it's so hard and just awful to see Christians speak to one another in ways that are just absolutely horrendous and not in any way respectful of the person in whom they are made in the image of. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 says this, Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility consider one another as more important than yourselves. And that's a good word. This week when you're interacting with people, here's a challenge. Look at them as better than you. Look at them in a way that says, man, they are so much more worthy, Jesus, than I am. Look at them and say to yourself, man, they are made in your image, God, and I see it. And let us treat them accordingly. Amen? Here's the third one. I won't take as long. Be kind. Be kind. Paul ends this chapter with verse 32. Be kind to one another, compassionate, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven us or you all. By the way, most of the yous in the scriptures are plural. If you want to go southern on it, you can. Just put a y'all in there. Same thing. In fact, I encourage it. It's a street Greek. This is... This is street Greek. This is what the New Testament was written in. This isn't formal Greek here that we're reading from church. This is street Greek. So you can put y'all if you want. Okay? It's all right. Um, Plato. Here's another philosopher I want to quote from. We talks about being kind to each other. I love this perspective. He says this, be kind. For everyone you meet is fighting a harder battle. 
You might be having a bad day. I get that. We all do. But remember that maybe those that you might interact with that day who might not be very kind to you, might have said something that irks you, might have done something that maybe is communicating disrespect, might have just pulled at the things that make you angry. In those moments, would you just take a quick pause and just remember perhaps they're fighting something greater than I'm 